again because I, I continue to forget it. What if we only had the things that we thank you for, God? You've been so incredibly good, God. You've poured out abundant, undeserved blessings freely given to us, God. Lord, in spite of the fact that we run these busy, rat race lives and very seldom stop to say thank you as we should, you continue to bless us and keep a hedge about us. You continue to teach us from your word and your Holy Spirit continues to, to teach and work within us, God. We just want to tell you, thank you for being so incredibly good, God. Thank you, Lord, for these here tonight. Lord, I ask you, would your Holy Spirit just move? I pray you teach us something from this letter that you wrote us, God, from the Acts of the Apostles and the things that you did through them, God, and the establishment of the church and the way that we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the church as children of God. Lord, I pray you'd help us, Father. Teach us something that we'd walk out, that we'd be better servant, God. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys want to open Acts chapter 15, pick up where we left off last week. We were at verse number 10. If you remember, Peter had stood up and, and Peter had, had addressed the issue of salvation concerning circumcision. They've gone down for this hearing, and he makes it clear that God has shown him that it's not about anything but Jesus Christ, and that there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, that Jesus Christ and, and made all, came and made all one. And we're at verse number 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He says, it's not circumcision that makes it. Thank you, guys, and be seated. I'm not going to read all the way through. Um, just just sake of time. I know I usually like to read the few verses we're going to try to cover, but I'll just we'll take them one at a time tonight. But it's not circumcision that makes a man clean. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And circumcision, we talked about last week, it's not a prerequisite for salvation. Salvation is grace and grace alone. So when Peter went up to the house of Cornelius there at Caesarea, he didn't preach circumcision. He preached Jesus Christ. And Cornelius and all of his house was saved. And the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. When Paul, when we just went on his first missionary journey with him, every city he went into, he didn't preach circumcision. He didn't preach Sabbath day ritual. He didn't keep um, keeping certain days or, or certain feasts. He didn't go in and, and preach the law. He went in and preached Jesus. If we're going to change our town one soul at a time, we're going to have to preach Jesus. It's not, a, it's not about anything else. Everything else is a perfect tool for the devil. Anything else is a sideline. Anything else is a detour. Anything that the devil can get in line that gets us away from the main subject, Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Salvation through Jesus. Anything else is a detour. The apostle Paul went in and he preached Jesus. And as a result, everywhere he went, there were converts. Souls were saved. He's telling them, look, the law has been fulfilled. The, the law was fulfilled by Christ. Yes, we have the law. Yes, it was the Old Testament law. But, but the price is paid in full. You know, if man could have kept the law, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. And that's what he's telling them. Our forefathers couldn't keep the law. You can't keep the law. Why do you want to burden them with it? Christ came and paid it. Why, why are you trying to put something back on? I mean, the Sabbath day restrictions alone were more than a man could keep. There, there was more attached to that one day and the feast around it than a man could keep. You have the 613 Levitical law, and, and if that's not enough, the, these legalists want to add things to it. And so if you want to be saved, you got to this, this, this checklist. No, if you want to be saved, His name's Jesus Christ. If you want all your sins forgiven, His name's Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that there is nothing else. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, 
He said, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. That, that's, what, that's what Peter was talking about here. He says, why, why are you trying to put things on them that we can't even take? Jesus has already taught a better way. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said in verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says it's that simple. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Peter simply tells them, you couldn't keep the law. The burden of the law was too great for our forefathers and for us. Why do you want to burden others? In verse number 11, he says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they, period. It is grace. It is grace alone. The law burdened men. Grace sets men free. Anybody got to thank you for Jesus out of that? The, the law condemns, but, but grace forgives. It, it is the law that, that puts the load on, on men, but it is grace that put the load on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, I've already taken care of it. He kept the law. He lived the perfect life as only he could. The, the debt's been paid. He, he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. You understand, this is the beginning of the church right here. This is the early stages of the church. This is a big deal. These are big decisions being made because if this were to go wrong, then it messes up everything about the church. It just turns it into a legalist group. If it becomes anything about anything other than Christ, then it becomes a cult. So, so this is an important meeting that's going on here at the church at Jerusalem. The, the, the outcome of the church, everything about this is a big deal. So what Peter does, he stands up. Remember we talked about it last week. He's probably the man of highest position there, the man of highest authority. He stands up and, and he says, Paul and Barnabas are dead on. What they're telling you, what they're teaching in Antioch, what this whole discussion about, they are exactly right. It's all about Christ. It's not about circumcision. It's not about law. What they're teaching is the absolute truth. So verse number 12, it says that all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. You remember when the missionary journey began and it talked about separate me, Barnabas and Paul. And we, it talked about, and we talked about how it started out as Barnabas and Paul for that little brief, but then it became Paul and company. And then since then, it's been Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. But now right here, we come back to, to Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas would have been the speaker here because Barnabas is greatly loved in Jerusalem by all the apostles, the disciples, by all those in the church, by everyone present. Paul, not so much. Paul, by a lot of them, yes, but you remember, he was Saul, right? A lot of them in Jerusalem had forgot that. We talked about it last week. A lot of people carry grudges. Some of us. And, and so Barnabas is the speaker here because everybody here loves Barnabas. So he starts telling the story about this missionary journey. Now, I'm sure he probably told a whole lot more than Luke records here. I'm sure he probably told more than could be recorded in just a single book. Because you've got to think of all that happened on this journey that they were on. I mean, he's talking about how souls were being saved and lives were being changed and Gentiles were coming in and being filled with the Holy Spirit and how miracles were being done and, and, and how 
Paul spoke to the man that had been born lame and, and they walked and there was this great miracle and the miracle was so big and, and the miracles were so much that people began to call them by the names of their little G false gods because they were caught up in, in the miracle. He's telling them about all of these great things that, that are going on. Then he tells them about how at Lystra that Paul was stoned and, and they left for dead. They carried him out. His body, he was lifeless. And they drug him out of the city and they, they threw him out like a dead man. And maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But they certainly thought he was. And as a result, all of the troublemakers that had been surrounding us left. They all went back home over a hundred miles away. And now we were free to preach the gospel. And we went back through the cities without hindrance, without the hecklers, without the Jews gathered around. And more souls were saved and the churches were established and bishops were appointed. And we saw God do a, a great and a mighty work. Everything that Barnabas is telling is a confirmation of what Peter just stood up and told them. Verse number 13 says, and after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. John Philip says that should tell us something about the condition of the church at Jerusalem. He said that, that ought to give us some kind of idea about... I mean, the church at Jerusalem is the mother church, right? The day of Pentecost, Peter preached, 3,000 souls are saved. The church begins at Jerusalem. Then Saul comes in and and the Christians scatter and you get churches everywhere else and they're going all about. But Jerusalem is the mother church. Already what he's saying is it already insinuates that there is a lukewarmness growing because of this false teaching that you had to have circumcision as part of salvation in the mother church, you, you have this lukewarmness growing. He says, it says that they sat there silent. What he's saying is, look, they just talked about miracles. They just talked about a, a lame man that was born where he couldn't walk and, and getting up and walking. They just talked about a multitude of Gentiles being saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and all that God had done and how He raised up Paul. And, and they should have been shouting, right? That's what He's saying. There should have been some rejoicing. There's all these great miracles He's talking about. But, but, but here they are. that They're sitting there silent. Why aren't they praising God for all that He's done? So, I don't know. That's just something he kind of sheds there as a, a little bit of look. Now, remember we talked about last week. I wonder what Paul must have thought when Peter got up to speak. Remember we talked about Peter's position and he and Paul have already butted heads one time and Paul already said that he had to withstand him and, and I wonder what he was standing up. But, but now, Paul knows exactly where Peter's at. I mean, Peter's got up and he has made his position known. He understands that they're on the same page. But now, James gets up to talk. Now, James is the bishop of the church at Jerusalem. He, he's the head man there. These people that came from Jerusalem to Antioch, stirring up the problem. Remember, they said they came from the church at Jerusalem. They've insinuated that we're coming from James. And, and we're coming to tell you, coming from James, that circumcision is necessary for these Gentiles who want to be saved. So Paul, after all this argument, y'all remember the big argument, right? 
So you had this big argument. Now they've had to go back to Jerusalem, to Judea. They've had to call this council meeting and, and get it all together. And as far as Paul knows, the last thing he's heard is these men came from James to say, hey, circumcision is necessary. Now, you've got to understand, because of his authority, his position in the church, and, and this is the church at Jerusalem, his, his opinion, his, what he's about to say is going to carry a lot of weight. Whichever way James leans right here, that's probably which way the church is fixing to go. Regardless of what Peter said, regardless of what Paul has said, or what, regardless of what Barnabas just told, this church at Jerusalem, the mother church, the central figure of the church, where everything focused back to, if James gets this wrong, a lot's probably fixing to go the wrong way. So he opens up with a very complimentary name. He calls Peter by his old Hebrew name, and he says... Simeon. He's referring back to the man that God used to build his church. He says, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. See, we can begin to see the Holy Spirit do a work right here. We can begin to see the Holy Spirit tie hearts together. Listen, it in this church, within the family of God, within anywhere, if we seek God, we will become one. The Holy Spirit, if He is the central figure, He's not going to tell one any different than He tells another. So He's going to tell us all the same, and He's going to bind us all the same and unite us all the same. And we see the Holy Spirit begin to work them together. On Sunday morning, we talked about how we started out our day at John chapter 14 that morning when Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We know that when Jesus Christ went back, that God sent the Comforter. God sent the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, yes, to bring them remembrance, but it is the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's not good conscience or bad conscience. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us. It is the Holy Spirit that, that tells you, mm -mm -mm -mm. You, you know not to do that. It, it is the Holy Spirit that, that got on me the other day when I turned right down here and there was a car sitting there with the trunk lid open. I know they probably had a flat tire, so I went on by and I almost made it to the bottom and I had to turn around and road and get back. And by the time I got back, somebody had done got my blessing. They done pulled over and was getting out the jack and I thought, mm-hmm, you missed it. That, it is the Holy Spirit that sent us that tells things. For all I know, that lady might have needed to be saved that was in that car. She might have needed a church home. She might have been like, where, Mr. Peter? Mr. Peter, we didn't have church Sunday night. You know that now, right? But Mr. Peter forgot we didn't have church. So he comes. There's a man in the church parking lot with a flat tire, and he led him to the Lord. So, so see, I, I missed mine. There was one right down there at the corner, too. But, so so he, he, he was obedient. It, but it's the Holy Spirit that sent us. That's what unites us. That, that's what nudges us. That's what tells us. That's what wakes you up at 2 in the morning and says, pray for so-and-so. You have no idea what's going on in your life, and it doesn't matter. You don't need to know. You know this. The Lord said, pray for them. If you're like me, I'm like, it's 2.30 in the morning. God, you know you're going to fix it. Why do you need me? He says, pray for them. And, and you pray for them, and you find out later that something was going on. That, that's the Holy Spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit working, even in this meeting right here, bringing them 
all together. The Holy Spirit creating unity in, in these men. These are very powerful figures in the church right here. These are men with a lot of say so. This is going to establish the church from this day forward. And, and we see all of them coming together as one. We don't see any of them trying to make their argument or bring something out because the Holy Spirit is teaching them. James says that God chose the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Matthew chapter 16, Peter confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him in verse number 17 and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven also, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word for church there is ecclesia. It is an, a, a called out assembly of believers. That's what the church is, ecclesia, a called out assembly of believers. It is a derivative of the word kaleo, which is to call out. Second Corinthians six sixteen. what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. If God has said, I will dwell in them. It's the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you and I. It's the Holy Spirit of God that, that directs you and I. I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, for I will receive you. I will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We are a called out people, the church the bride of Christ. We are Ecclesia. Schofield says, God has never anywhere converted everybody, but everywhere he has called out some. James goes on, verse 15, he says, And to this agree the words of the prophet, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. James takes them back to the Old Testament. James begins to remind them of some things because the focus of the Old Testament was all about the Jews. That was God's chosen people. That was God's relationship through the covenant of Abraham with the Hebrew nation. God made them some promises. And God will keep His promises. They've not been kept yet. But they're coming. God made some promises to the Jew back in the day, but right now we are living in, in, in the church age. We are living in the dispensation period of grace. As far as I'm concerned, it's the best day to get to live on in the history of the earth. Past, present, future to come. The dispensation period of grace. We're, we're living in a time where he says that God will take out a people for his name. Now, Jesus will return. The tabernacle of David will be rebuilt. Every promise of God will be fulfilled. Once the church age has ended, Jesus Christ is going to step out on the cloud. Anybody listening for a trumpet? Anybody waiting on one? It's coming. Jesus Christ will step out. The Father will say, go get my children. He will come get the bride of Christ. He will call up Ecclesia, the, the chosen. He will call us up. We have the seven-year tribulation. You have the thousand-year millennial reign after that. And, and all of the promises will be fulfilled. It is commonly referred to as the postponed kingdom. 
God, God has not broken His promises. They're just delayed. But, but it's all because of, of the rejection. What we clearly see is the foreknowledge of God. If anybody wants to know how God could write the book of Revelation and about all the things and all the battle of Armageddon and all that's going to happen, it's because God's already there. God already wrote about all this stuff way before it ever got there. God already knew about the rejection of Jesus Christ way before Jesus ever came. Amen. Before the foundations of the world. Had, had the Jews accepted the Messiah. Y'all ready? Had the Jew accepted the Messiah, then you and I were never offered salvation. Had the Jew accepted their king and took their king, the promises would have been fulfilled then, not in the postponed kingdom. But God already knew that, didn't He? God, God already knew we, we have all of the prophets. Isaiah talked about Christ. He talked about the rejection. He talked about the crucifixion. He talked about the resurrection. All that was written way before Christ ever came. So when James speaks, he says there in verse number 16, he says, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. He, he's talking from, from the prophet Amos. Amos is obviously writing to the Jew. And he said, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. Verse number 12, Amos chapter 9, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. The heathen is any foreign nation. The heathen is anyone that is not a Jew written in that letter, which means the heathen is the Gentile. What he says is coming from the heathen nation. That's us. Anybody know you're a heathen? Coming from the heathen nation, a people that is called by my name. God said there's going to be a people called there. That is the church, ecclesia, that's you and I, called out. The family of God, that ought to be exciting. Verse number 17 says that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Verse number 18, James makes it clear. It's all part of the plan. He says, Known unto God are all of His works from the beginning of the world. James says, None of this stuff is any of a surprise to God. God had all of this planned out from the beginning. God already knew that Adam and Eve was going to eat that forbidden fruit. God already knew that He'd have to establish the law. God already knew that man wasn't going to be able to keep the law. God already knew that He was going to send the Messiah. And God already knew that the Jews, when He sent Him, would, reset, would, would deny Jesus Christ. And that there would be the church age where He would build His people, separate them out, and call the people for Himself. He already knows all of that ahead of time. So God puts it get all in, in motion. God also knows that judgment day is coming. Tim talked about your name being written. I, I don't know that I've ever, it's never registered to me like he just said it. He talked about roll call. And they go through roll call here, so-and-so here, so-and-so here, so-and-so. So-and-so. 
It's never registered to me before. He said something will call a name and they're not going to be there. That, that, that name's erased. Man, I don't want that name to be my friends and my family. I don't want that to be people that are loved and care about. I don't want it to be anybody. You don't either. I mean, you think about the, the awfulness of hell. We don't want it to be anybody. And, and there, there's a people out there. There's a world that's going to hell anyway. So, so he, he tells us that, that the ecclesia will be caught up. And, and, and in verse number 19, we have the conclusion on the matter. It's been carried to the elders of the church at Jerusalem. Remember, there was a great celebration going on at Antioch, right? Y'all remember that? We forgot Antioch. There was a great celebration about all the miracles, rejoicing, and the devil can't stand that. The devil can't stand for the church to be happy. The devil can't stand for the church to be at peace. The devil can't stand for the church to be in one accord and be rejoicing over the good things of God. And that's what you had. The people were rejoicing. They're in one accord. They're excited about what's going on. The devil said, no, i got to mess that up. So he took some people from the church, not, not from the world, not, not from the barroom. He didn't get somebody out the honky-tonk. He didn't get somebody out of the nightclub. The church at Antioch is celebrating, worshiping, having a great time in the Lord. And he brings somebody that obviously had at least a little bit of authority from the church at Jerusalem to get up and throw a monkey wrench into the celebration. And get up there and start causing a problem over one little thing. One little thing. You've got to be circumcised to be saved. One, one little lie. One little piece of confusion. That's all it took to get in there. And what we saw last week was the church and a huge argument. I mean, th- this is a heated discussion. And they decide, you're going to have to take that back to the elders at Jerusalem and let them decide. Holy Spirit had that all worked out, right? So that's what we get. We're back here so, so that they can decide. And, and James, after the case has been presented, verse number 19, he says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. That is the conclusion of the matter. The Holy Spirit has united the hearts of men. He's made it official. He's closed all doors. It is Christ and Christ alone. It is grace and grace alone. It doesn't matter where the lie comes from. Anything that's not out of the truth of the Word of God is a lie. He says Jew and Gentile are one in the eyes of Jesus. Jew and Gentile will come by the way of salvation, will be the same for all. From now on, Jews are to accept those. And that was the problem in the church at Jerusalem. It's mostly made up of Jews, and they still have a problem accepting the Gentile. The Gentile is still a dog. You know... Old habits are hard to break, right? We've looked at that often enough. So, so they're, they're having a hard time accepting that these Gentiles are in the same family. That they're all one. That's why God had to make that clear to Peter. What I've called clean, called thou not unclean. And, and so, it's telling them that we, we are to accept the Gentiles. God accepted them. God brought them in of other sheep that I have, which are not of this fold, that they're, that they're brought in. But he says there are some things that are going to be required of the Gentiles, too. Remember, these Gentile nations, they're full of idolatry. We saw that in Lystra, right? They started calling Paul and Barnabas by, by the gods, by the little G gods and the leaders and the speakers. And, and so they have all of these gods. They have a, a God for everything. Miss Sylvia needs a God for a toothache right now, right? They had a God for a toothache. They have a, a God for a toe ache. They, they have a God for they have all this different stuff. It's all false. It can't do anything for them. And so 
He says, you know, we've got to love them out of that. We've got to help them understand that there is one true God. We've got to pull them out of, of all of that and all of the sexual perversions of the things that, that came out. We, we've got to help them understand what it means that old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? We are new creatures in Christ. That means we don't go back to old habits. We don't live old school. We don't do old stuff. When we truly are washed in the blood, when we truly are saved, we walk away from our past. Our past is there never to be remembered. God's not going to bring it up because He don't remember. There's no reason for us to bring it up, right? We just set our sights on, on the new things. And He said, that's the things we've got to help with, with the Gentiles. We've got to help them learn. Listen, the same thing is true today. Grace is not a license to sin. There seems to be a lot of problem with that in this casual Christianity world that we're in. Grace is not your license to go out and do stuff and then, oh, well, I can be forgiven. You, you think your daddy won't strap your legs? You think, you think your daddy won't tear your backside up? He's only going to let you go so much for so long. It's not a license to sin. Grace is simply... Free, 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 free forgiveness of sin. God freely cleansing all of our sins. But then He expects us to live right. It's, it's not to go back and be a keeper of the law. It's just to go back, well, be honest, we've been talking about a lot on Sunday mornings for two months. It's just do right. It, it's not to try to keep the law. It's not the 613 Levitical law. It's not even the Ten Commandments. It's just do right. It's just be like Jesus. It's just go about doing good. It's just try to do things right. Don't go back to old school. So that's what, he, what he's saying here about the Gentiles, that we are all to be one. We're, we're not to push them off, but, but they've got to turn from some old stuff. Well, we, we looked, I think it was, when did we look at the woman at the well? I don't remember. That was, that was part of the John when we were reviewing over John. What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. What he says is it's all okay now. It's all fine now. You've come here, you've left it all here. Just don't do it anymore. Change your ways from here forward. That's all you got to do. Well, Lord willing, 753, we're going to pick up right there next week. Um, that's about as good a place as any to, to change and start back off. And, every, and everything... In everything for me, there, there's a challenge, and I, I love just, I hope you, I just love studying the line by line to, to look and see, and, and I realize this is still a very shallow study, otherwise we would have spent the entire evening on about five words of one verse. If you get into word studies, there's so much there. I just love taking what God wrote and, and what He put there and, and what He shows us that back then that it's still true now. It still applies to my life now. Grace, grace is free, but it's not a license to do wrong. Do everything I can to do right and try, try to treat people right and, and put our best foot forward. But everything, everything in it, and we'll, we'll get off of this particular line in just a little bit, but everything in this Wednesday night, it's amazing how it goes right along with what God's given me on Sunday mornings on the unity of the church. The devil is a master of division. 
the devil is a master of discord. And there, where, where there is discord, there can't be unity. Where, where there is gossip, I'm sorry, there can't be love. Where, where there is slander, there can't be building up. If you tear somebody down, you can't be building somebody up. And, and what we see is even in the early beginning of the church, they battled this. We didn't, we didn't start battling this kind of problem a year ago, eight years ago, 15 years ago, or 40 years ago. This, this, is, this is just a few months after the church began. And, and the devil hadn't changed his tactics, and he's not going to. He's just going to keep coming. So it's up to us. It's up to us to keep our hearts pure. It's up to us to drive, draw closer to the Lord. And as we draw closer to the Lord, then we all draw closer to each other. Amen. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for this family. God, I thank you for the family, period, ecclesia, the church, all of your church, God. Lord, I pray you'd help us, Father, all to be in one accord, especially all those in the Troop County region, that you could use us all together to reach the lost in this town. But, God, I pray for Faith Baptist Church, God. You know this is just where you put my heart, God. This is the people that I love. This is the people that I want to see you open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that there be not room enough to receive it. But, God, this is the people that, that I want to see us grow closer to you, God. I want to see us walk in your light and, and walk with you, God, and, and lead others to you and take as many as we can with us when you come get us, God. I pray you'd make us usable vessels, Father. I pray you'd help us to be one, God. I pray a hedge of protection around every family represented in this place, God. I pray you'd help us to be pleasing to you in all that we do. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.